Greetings, and thank you for joining me for quite excellent episode number 36. With any luck, you are hearing this without my voice accidentally falling through a baritone wormhole. I'm also hoping I can get the length of the episode down a bit. After I put out a 20 minute, 24 second episode 34, I told myself and a few students, I'm gonna try to get this next one shorter. So, so episode 35 was actually one second longer at 20 minutes and 25 seconds. Maybe I'll do better in this next time. But I gotta say the analysis for my students just keeps getting better somehow. In any case, today's poem is Jane Hirschfeld's uh, poem, The Promise, which was originally published in her 2011 collection, Come, Thief. I was actually given it by my daughter, Elena. Uh, Her third grade teacher assigned her the task of rewriting the poem as penmanship practice, but she liked it enough that she eagerly showed it to me when I came home from work last week. When she said she didn't quite get it, obviously... I took my eight-year-old, and we started annotating, and we worked on it until it clicked. It didn't take that long, actually. There was a wonderful, oh, so, moment. I'm actually going to have her volunteer her voice for the reading of this poem. She's been practicing in front of her stuffed animals in preparation. Before we get to Hirschfield, we need to explore Despecho Hour at Casa Azul Restaurante Cantina, last week's poem by Jose Alavares. I worry sometimes that I'm not finding the right poetry for my students. Sometimes poetry is too old, too confusing, too elaborate, or too, well, full of itself. Or at least it seems that way until you spend some time with it, make its language and movements your blankets. I'm keenly aware of this as I'm working through Stephanie Burt's book, Don't Read Poetry, whose central argument is not to worry about being part of the poetry genre. Uh, instead, find individual poems you like, that you can see yourself in. Read and love those, and maybe the genre stuff will follow. And this poem was an attempt to reach not just to students who feel like poetry, you know, poetry, is outside of their experience, but to specifically try to get some of my students to see themselves and their experience in a poem. I'll keep trying to do this going forward. If you, student... You haven't heard yourself at a poem yet. Talk to me. Let me know. I want to fix that. Once again, here's Angela South reading the poem. The special hour at the Casa Azul, Restaurante Cantina, by Jose Olivares, para Araceli. The special rhymes with espejo. Translation: My sibs could be my twins if they weren't so fails. Remix. If I weren't so ugly, I wouldn't look so much like me, said Manos. Let me try again. This one goes out to my fan posted at the bar, pouring shots until the ceiling falls apart and reveals the moon. I'm sorry to break the news. You can sing all you want, comadre. You can get Chenta himself to sing on your behalf. She's gone. Translation. All that's left to do. Yorar, yorar. One more time for those who haven't caught on. It's that time of night where all you have is your biggest ache and all its nicknames. Our bartender's from Guatemala. He tells us Spanish is his second language. His first language is Exil. In the entire state of Iowa, how many people speak Exil? Question. 
Is the special the music he plays when he cleans the drunks up from the bar? And is the special what it sounds like when you cross one strange country just to land in another and discover all your words for love are strange and unfamiliar? So, once again, I have some uh, wonderful analysis coming from students. I'm really happy uh, with everything that I have here. Uh, I'm, I wish I had to break these up into different sections. And I think the first thing to talk about that makes the most sense to me is to first... Uh, Think about the English-speaking listeners and the experience there, because a lot of my students uh, who don't speak Spanish approach this in a way that was pretty similar to how I did, which is that this is kind of a confusing poem at first. It, it doesn't make itself totally apparent to you if you don't already have the language that's part of it. So yeah, it's, it's easy to see it as something that's a little bit alien or that's a little bit difficult to, to get into. Uh, and it, that lends itself to misreading, at least a little bit, I think. Um, for example, a, a student says uh, that this feels like it's festive, it's willing to share joy. Um, and some of the that makes sense, because the poem does continually translate or remix what it's saying to be more clear. But as we'll get into the poem, it's clear that while it, maybe it presents as joyful, I don't know that the poem really has a lot of joy specifically. But an important part of this is that if you don't speak Spanish, you are subjected to being the outsider here, similar to how the bartender feels like they have this part of themselves in their first language, Ixo, that they can't share. There's a, a lack of sharing that happens here. It does occasionally switch back and forth to help the English speaker make sense, to support the English speaker as immigrants, really, immersed in a culture and trying to acclimate have to sometimes be supported by those around them, by the systems that they're actually entering into. And so in this way, the uh, student notes, the author uses translation to make sense of things, quote, for those who haven't caught on, right? It explains as much as possible in translation and in, and in remix, both to help the person who's not familiar with the language, but also the student says to help his family or the speaker's family uh, in one section to help clarify the experiences and emotions they're feeling. So it's more than just not understanding Spanish, says another student. It's knowing that anyone who speaks your first language in a predominantly English-speaking country is, is part of something with you, right? Whereas you are excluded at least a little bit from something that is outside of that community. One student notes that it's kind of ironic uh, that those that don't relate to this poem are outsiders, which, yes, absolutely. Um, this is a pretty significant irony, uh, especially as we live in a country that has struggled with dual language. Um, it's not as much a case anymore, but I can remember when people were very upset by the idea of having to press one for English or two for Spanish, the idea that everything wasn't default English seemed offensive and angry and there are some states that continue to try to pass laws that make English the official language of the state uh, as kind of a way to enforce this. And I think part of what's happening here is that people don't want to feel like outsiders. It's a difficult situation to find oneself in. And so we see that around the country where people push back on being made to feel like outsiders in their own country. But of course, there are no shortage of Spanish speakers who are American. 
who feel like outsiders for having that as their dominant language, right? And so there is a, a pretty significant irony there. It's a great observation. Now, in terms of speaking specifically to Spanish speakers, um, this is where I was really happy to hear a lot of students connecting with this poem. One student said, my siblings and I used to tease each other like this, calling each other feo, um, but still loved each other. We're still family, right? So there's that sibling bickering early on. Another student talks about this, about themselves sometimes feeling like an outsider. Another says, I personally feel like this sometimes. The student says they feel alienated from their cultural identities. Quote, I don't feel Irish or Filipino nor Mexican. And for the sole reason that I will never be able to understand their culture completely. So as an American here, this student has these cultural elements, but is always a little bit outside of them. And I think that's really telling too, that even if you are part of a Spanish speaking culture, you may not have access to the experiences and cultural identities that your family and your grandparents might have as well. My goodness, is culture very complicated. One student notes that the speaker is translating over and over and again. It's still not able to get quite to the point. This, let me try again. It's like you can't expect someone from another background to quite understand the quirks of your culture and of your experience, right? Part of it's language barrier, but part of it's just that complexity that I mentioned. And that, that loss there, that gap, that happens as a result of not just time passing, but immigration necessarily. Yeah, immigration, according to a student, grants the speaker a second chance at life, but there are costs. It suggests, for example, that a love is lost, but also language is lost, becomes unrecognizable, becomes isolated. So even if you speak Spanish, you're still separated from experiences within that culture. And another student notes that you're also separated from the experience of hearing this poem as an English speaker. You'll never as a person coming to English as a second language and know exactly what it feels like to experience this as an English native speaker. So we're always kind of isolated from each other in complex ways, even as we share so much in common. And there was one student who translated despejo for us, meaning spite. And when you think about this, this is the hour of spite at this Café Azul. This is a speaker who knows they have a limited audience that can truly comprehend the real meaning of what they're trying to say. And along with the, this mixing between Spanish and English, one student notes that the, the punctuation and the, the grammar in here is not conventional. There are almost no capitalization. We're missing commas and, and other punctuation in places we might expect them. Uh, this might be part of that challenge translation that is really at the core of this poem. Now, one student talks a little bit about how the author is seeing this, this hour of loneliness, as another student describes it. And they're using different people to tell different stories. So, for example, the student suggests that the first story is about a daughter, and they feel lonely because uh, she has ugly siblings, but she's beautiful, but imagines herself as also similarly ugly so that she's not lonely anymore, ironically. And in this way, we have a series of like vignettes of like small pictures of people experiencing life that's complicated. And at the end of these, according to the student, we have this, this statement where it says, all you have is your biggest ache and all its nicknames. And the student suggests frustration and grief and heartbreak and anxiety and guilt and boredom all being among these aches with the biggest being loneliness. And I think this, this big aches thing is really important because we get 
uh, details about like the ceiling falling apart and revealing the moon. And the student says that the, this ceiling represents the feeling of falling apart yourself. Or the moon represents that sadness that you feel that you can get lost in. Another speaker is talking about how this might actually be a representation of emotional distress, like depression, and feeling like an outsider while everyone else is enjoying themselves, but you feel like things are falling apart on you. And so in this way, we're alienated not just culturally, but in our own emotional experiences. Sometimes you just can't understand or be understood. So this is a poem that has joy in it, but also maybe a lot more challenge than that. It's alienating to even consider the fact that this poem can feel joyful, as a student noted in the beginning, but also, as this one says, find it rather solemn. So this is a poem that's really about uh, a lot of complex ideas. Uh, there are the stress that governments put on people and how their culture could be challenged. We can talk about the struggle being placed somewhere new where you're not familiar, where you don't have the cultural connections that you would have had elsewhere. And maybe even dealing in there with that loss of culture or with emotional distress like depression. One student says that Jose Oliveira speaks of the divide of cultures and alienation. The poem claims that everyone will feel alienated in some way. And we see each stanza kind of showing a different kind of alienation if we extend what another student had to say. So in this way, the poem feels like it's something that you can be an outsider of. But maybe that's actually not that bad, says another student. A few students suggest that there are some benefits. You might never have an easy go of it, but there's always something in there. There's learning that can happen. There, there are moments where you can find connections with people that matter more because you're both outsiders. One student notes that there's so much repetition in here, so much correction, remixing, retranslation, that this is a poem, at least a little bit possibly, about making changes and improvement and developing as an individual that can express themselves a little more clearly over time through learning from mistakes. So there's this culture of losses uh, drifting away from culture that seems to be a part of this poem uh, and and then all that's left is singing but the singing maybe brings us together because that's going to be happening to everyone one last contribution from a student is something that i think brings a lot of this together and a student says that quote when i read this poem it makes me think that this was intended to be a song and that's not totally apparent to me at least in my first reading but i think it makes a lot of sense we obviously see singing in the poem itself but this poem does kind of feel like a lament which is a, a kind of poem genre uh, that expresses as song a grief and a hardship and connection and loss and those kind of things. And I think that feels dead on here. This poem does feel a bit like a lament for a lot of things. I also asked our reader, Angela South, what she thought of this poem. And she said, uh, and I'm quoting, it's such a sad poem. And in some ways, I can relate to it. To me, it's about losing your identity, not knowing who you are or where you fit. He begins by comparing himself to his brothers, and that part was funny. But in the second stanza, and this is where Topher, that's her husband, by the way, and I disagree because he believes it's talking about death. I see it as his family is unhappy, but not mourning. Drinking is a huge part of our culture, and so is Kente, or Vicente Fernandez. You hear his songs a lot at family gatherings. The last few verses is why I think this poem is about identity. As first-gen with immigrant family, sometimes your words and expressions do not translate to English. It can be frustrating to not be understood. But something I have found and learned to embrace is that I really like that part of who I am, because it's something special and unique about me. 
And just so you can have the other side of that conversation, my response to her was that I read this poem as being about a dual identity, where on the one hand, you've got this language and culture that comes naturally and is joyful, but on the other hand, the, the dominant American culture, it kind of expects it to be translated and digestible, something else that can be consumed and Americanized, like become part of us. Now, our next poem is The Promise by Jane Hirschfield. This poem is a fun one, I think, and yes, it feels more like poetry than most of those that we've done, but not in a bad way. What could feel more like poetry as a genre than the topic of love? But this love might not be romantic. It could be familial. It could be about friendship. Maybe it's about all of these. So don't worry if you don't want to read any smooshes into this poem. You don't have to. What you should definitely notice, though, is all the nature imagery here. It's in every stanza. Well, almost. For this reason, I'd like you to mention the natural imagery of the poem. This is our secret passphrase. Here's my daughter, eight-year-old Elena, reading this poem. The Promise by Jane Hirschfield. Stay, I said to the cup flowers. They bowed their heads lower. Stay, I said to the spider who fled. Stay, leaf, it reddened, embarrassed for me and itself. Stay, I said to my body, it sat as a dog does, obedient for a moment, soon starting to tremble. Stay to the earth of riverine valley meadows of fossil discarpments of limestone and sandstone. It looked back with a changing expression in silence. Stay, I said to my loves, each answered always. Students, be sure to use the phrase natural imagery in your response. I know this isn't one of the senses we've talked about, although I bet you can use a few of those as well. But using an adjective that describes the kind of imagery being used is another wonderful way to use a term like imagery. Just never use it by itself. Saying an author uses imagery just means that they describe stuff you can imagine, which is basically always true. In addition to this phrase, don't forget your quotation marks around the title and slashes for line breaks. There are six stanzas, but you probably won't end up needing the double slash since each stanza concludes with a period. In poetry, by the way, this is often called a full stop. We've got a speaker again, and by the end, we not only have multiple listeners, but they actually respond. Now that I think about it, it's actually somewhat rare for listeners in a poem to join the speaker in this way. Interesting. Remember to complete your paragraph-length response by Wednesday, November 11th, and two replies to the responses of your peers by the Friday that ends the week. Your paragraph-length response should include a tag and make a claim in the opening sentence or two. Then support that claim with short quotations from the poem and commentary that explains how those quotations support your claim. Be sure to read the assignment instructions for a full breakdown of the expectations. If you enjoy this podcast, have suggestions, or would like me to direct an eye toward a particular poem or poetic device, leave a comment on LeidenTeachers.com or on Twitter. I am at Leiden Teaches. The content of this podcast is used as a companion to in-class instructional activities, and ownership of this text remains with the stated authors. Thank you for joining me for episode 36 of this podcast. I hope that between now and the next time you hear from me, you discover and savor a few things that you yourself found quite excellent. <laughs>